You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The U.S. issues a national cyber workforce and education strategy hunting Chinese malware staged in U.S. networks. CISA warns of a Barracuda backdoor. Wikiloader malware is discovered. P2P Infect is a malware botnet targeting publicly accessible Redis servers. Johannes Ulrich from SANS describes attacks against YouTube content creators. Rick Howard previews his conversation with AWS CISO CJ Moses. And Russia's SVR continues cyber espionage against Ukrainian and European diplomatic services. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Monday, July 31st, 2023. As anticipated, the White House, through the Office of the National Cyber Director, released the National Cyber Workforce and Education Strategy early this morning. The plan builds on the National Cybersecurity Strategy released on March 1st of this year. It's an ambitious whole-of-nation effort. A number of agencies have been given specific roles and missions, and the strategy includes a long and heterogeneous list of private sector partners. The strategy isn't confined to educating Americans for jobs in the cybersecurity workforce. One of its objectives is to raise cybersecurity awareness and basic skills among the population at large. The motivation for this aspect of the strategy is the pervasiveness of activity in cyberspace, in commerce, and other aspects of daily life. The document charts a course for preparing Americans for today's jobs and enables everyone to participate fully in our interconnected society. The strategy represents a mix of the genuinely strategic, large-scale, enduring objectives with a general approach to achieving them, and the highly specific, that is, the low-level tactical work particular agencies will undertake to support the strategy. The strategy outlines three guiding imperatives. First, leveraging adaptable ecosystems to affect change at scale. Second, enabling the lifelong development of cyber skills. And last, 
growing and enhancing the cyber workforce through improving its diversity and inclusion. It's worth noting that the educational component of the strategy concentrates on regional universities and community colleges, which have long formed a significant fraction of federally sponsored cybersecurity centers of excellence. On Saturday, the New York Times, citing unnamed administration officials, reported that the U.S. was hunting for disruptive Chinese malware that's been quietly staged in U.S. systems. The Times report is the result of interviews conducted over the past two months. The consensus among both government and industry experts is that Volt Typhoon precedes Microsoft's report by at least a year. Investigation has shown that the Chinese campaign is more widespread than initially believed, and that the U.S. work to find and eradicate the malware has been in progress for some time. The infestation extends beyond telecommunication systems and is geographically global, but there do seem to be higher concentrations of the malware in the vicinity of U.S. military installations. Observers speculate that China is hedging against any U.S. intervention in a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. The Times reports that there's disagreement within the administration as to whether the malware is designed narrowly to cripple U.S. military operations or whether wider spread disruption of U.S. society would be the goal. In any case, the U.S. government is said to regard the apparent shift from collection to disruption as both significant and disturbing. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency recently released three malware analysis reports concerning malware variants exploiting the CVE 2023-2668 vulnerability. This vulnerability affects Barracuda email security gateways and allows for remote command injection. According to Bleeping Computer's report, one of the identified malware strains named Submarine has been attributed to the suspected Chinese threat actor UNC-4841. CISA's analysis provides insights into the characteristics of the malware, indicating that it is specifically designed for persistence and lateral propagation. The alert highlights that Submarine operates as a persistent backdoor, executing with root privileges, and resides within an SQL database on the ESG appliance. The malware encompasses multiple components, such as a SQL trigger, shell scripts, and a loaded Linux daemon library, which collectively enable various functionalities, including execution with root privileges, persistence, command and control capabilities, and cleanup. Additionally, CISA examined artifacts associated with Submarine containing contents from the compromised SQL database. The agency warns that this malware presents a significant threat for lateral movement, emphasizing its potential to spread within affected systems. Researchers at Proofpoint this morning described a new strain of commodity malware they've dubbed WikiLoader. The malware has been active since at least December 2022. Proofpoint calls WikiLoader sophisticated and designed for staging secondary payloads. It's evasive, and both detection and analysis have proven challenging. It's positioned in the criminal-to-criminal market as a rental, one that's used by several threat actors, and Proofpoint expects Wikiloader to find customers among the initial access brokers. Cato Security Labs reports a new malware campaign targeting publicly accessible deployments of the Redis data store. The malware, P2P Infect, is written in Rust, 
and is designed for botnet creation. P2P Infect gains initial access by exploiting the Redis replication feature. The researchers explain, Replication allows instances of Redis to be run in a distributed manner, in what's referred to as a leader-follower topology. This allows follower nodes to act as exact replicas of the leader, providing high availability and failover for the data store. After initial infection, the malware drops a payload which renames wget and cure, probably in an attempt to slow down incident response. As its name suggests, P2P Infect then creates a peer-to-peer botnet in which each infected server serves as a single node. Cato explains that this allows the entire botnet to gossip with each other without using a centralized C2 server. It is assumed that commands are issued by propagating signed messages across the network. The malware also includes a worming feature that works to propagate the infection to new servers. In researching a version of the malware specifically geared toward Windows, researchers at Palo Alto Networks Unit 42, who've also looked at P2P Infect, have concluded that a crypto-mining payload was not included in the malware. Unit 42 wrote, There are instances of the word miner within the malicious toolkit of P2P Infect. However, researchers did not find any definitive evidence that crypto-mining operations ever occurred. Recorded Futures' Insect Group is tracking a cyber-espionage campaign against diplomatic services that Russia's SVR ran between February and June of this year. The researchers don't have a great deal of direct insight into the target's environment, but their reasonable conjecture is that the operation has reflected Russia's continued interest in European governments, especially their diplomats. As is commonly the case, the attack begins with spearfishing, the fish bait being such lures as an ambassador's schedule, an invitation to an embassy reception, or, in a case we've seen before, an ad for a used BMW. The message redirects to a compromised domain from which Blue Bravo, as Recorded Future calls the SVR threat actor, installs malware that gives it persistence in the target's network. Blue Bravo has cycled through at least three major tools this year, The one most recently used, the researchers called Graphical Proton, a loader that's staged in an ISO or ZIP file. Graphical Proton exploits legitimate services, especially Microsoft OneDrive, for delivery to the target. And so, the cyber activity in Russia's hybrid war seems to have contracted to familiar espionage, with a big side helping of disinformation. Coming up after the break, Johannes Ulrich from Sands describes attacks against YouTube content creators. Rick Howard previews his conversation with AWS CISO CJ Moses. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer, also our chief analyst, and he is the host of the CSO Perspectives podcast. Uh, Rick, over this summer, you have been quite busy. Of course, you've done a little bit of vacation time. Uh, you've done some, <laughs> you've done some, some internal N2K cybersecurity work, but you've also been doing some company travel. You went out to California and spoke at the annual Google Sales Conference. Uh, you keynoted at the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference in Denver, and then you went back out to Anaheim, California, and you covered the AWS reInvent Conference to see what the latest developments were in AWS security. And now you're back, <laughs> and you're releasing a new episode of the CSO Perspectives podcast. So first of all, welcome back. And <laughs> second, what do you have in store for us in this new season of CSO Perspectives? Well, thanks, Dave. It's uh, great to be back in the saddle again. And for this episode of CSO Perspectives, I'm taking advantage of that opportunity I got while attending the AWS reInvent conference. Besides the trip that our mutual producer, Jen Iben and I made to Disneyland for one magical evening, and we should do an entire show just to talk about that escapade. I have stories, Dave. I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> I got to sit down with the AWS CISO, C.J. Moses. Now, C.J. got his start in the U.S. Air Force back in the late 1990s, working for the Office of Special Investigations as a computer crime investigator, chasing hackers around the world back when the Internet was still the wild, wild west. He worked for the FBI and minor doing cyber stuff as a civilian. And then, in 2010, he took a job at Amazon and worked his way up the ladder and eventually became the AWS CISO two years ago. And Dave, you know, I get to talk to a lot of CISOs in this job, but CJ is a special case. If 
AWS was its own company and not owned by Amazon, it would be a Fortune 500 company in its own right with $58.7 billion in revenue in 2022, slightly below Morgan Stanley and slightly above Tesla. So CJ, you know, obviously has a huge job, not only protecting the internal AWS environments, but also protecting all the environments that most of us as customers use while deploying the service. And of course, he spends a lot of time thinking about strategy and tactics. And since I just published a book on cybersecurity strategies and tactics, we had a rollicking conversation about what that means at AWS. Mm. Can you give us an example? Well, in my book, I include an entire chapter on resiliency as a strategy and the tactics you might need to pursue that strategy. But CJ's great insight is that traditional resiliency is about ensuring that your data and systems are always available. If there is an availability issue, you can't get to those resources for whatever reason. They exist. There's just some technical issue preventing access. But CJ says that durability is a more important adjective for resiliency. It means that without durability, not only can you not get to your data and systems, they are no longer there. You'll never be able to get access because they're gone. And I wish I had that little bit of insight when I wrote that chapter in my book. That is some really interesting ideas. You know, it reminds me of what a friend of mine used to describe. Uh, he was a commercial insurance agent, and uh, he would often invoke the vision of a he called it a wily coyote smoking hole in the ground. <laughs> I love the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> well, before I let you go, uh, what is the phrase of the day over on your Word Notes podcast this week? Well, you're going to laugh, Dave, but this week's phrase is Apple's iCloud keychain. And before we did the episode, I thought I knew what that was, but it turns out I didn't, you know. Did you know that Apple considers that a password manager similar to LastPass and 1Password? I didn't know that. Okay, I guess I should have known that, but <laughs> how did that pass me by? I don't know. So uh, anybody in the audience, if you're like me, download this episode and get some education because I definitely did not know that. Yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think uh, there's a lot of functionality built into iCloud Keychain that's kind of hidden and people just don't know about it. And I don't know if that's Apple not doing a great job of promoting it or or what, but I'll be looking forward to uh, tuning in and finding out what you have to say about it. As always, Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to have you back. I know something you have had your eye on are threat actors targeting YouTube content creators. What's going on here? Yeah, so uh, what we observed, we have written about like a few months ago, was that relatively popular YouTube accounts with sometimes millions of followers were compromised and then used for crypto coin scams. The scams are all pretty much the same. They have a fake video of Elon Musk advertising uh, some kind of giveaway or such to trick people uh, to send them uh, crypto coins. But what you really didn't sort of know is how did they get access uh, to these accounts? Mm. And a little bit of breakthrough came there uh, 
I think it was two months ago or a month ago, uh, Linus Tech Tips, which is like one of the big uh, tech uh, YouTube channels, was compromised by just one of those scams. And they talked a little bit about how it happened. So this helped us actually to then to do some more targeted searches for the attack, which well, turned out to be spare phishing. Hmm. And they're in particular going after uh, these creators by basically sending them a fairly well done uh, fake sponsorship offers. So mm. first of all, they appear to come from companies that are well-known to sponsor many YouTube channels, like, for example, in this case, that we had NordVPN. Again, it's mm. not coming actually from NordVPN. It just claims to come from NordVPN. And uh, the attacker went so far as to registering a special domain, nordvpn-media.com, so a very plausible domain where mm. a media contact for NordVPN would use that to send email from and then it had the usual pdf attachment and something that you may expect uh, some documents some uh, more details about how to get in contact and what they're willing to pay or what their rules are or whatever and uh, that pdf then led to malware there was a link in the pdf once clicked you download malware they claimed it was additional documentation about how to sign up uh, for their sponsorship offer but it actually contained an info stealer meaning something that collects credentials, in particular then, of course, things like uh, YouTube logins and such. I see. At the risk of uh, blaming the victim here, do the folks who've been hit by this, do they have multi-factor authentication enabled? They do. And that's actually something that uh, Linus in uh, his sort of post-mortem of the uh, incident talked about. They do have two-factor authentication enabled, but... And you probably do similar things where you have your automatic pipeline that processes your audio and then some kind of API key that's being used to upload the audio. And uh, that API key, actually, in particular with YouTube, it's it's not where you can easily limit it to just allow video uploads. But uh, once they have that API key, they have full access uh, to your account. And huh. uh, that, of course, then you know, is then used to change passwords and basically take over the account. So basically, once they have access to your system, they're taking advantage of the API to get to your YouTube channel and its credentials. Correct. Like, you know, often whatever software you're using uh, to produce the audio, first time you set it up to connect uh, to YouTube, uh, you basically set up these API keys. Really, only help is here to keep those systems maybe a little more isolated, uh, where uh, if you're running some malware on your desktop, it doesn't have access to those API keys. But you know, that's, of course, a larger production to really set it up correctly and still have a fast, functional uh, system to actually publish all of your content. Is there any sense for how helpful YouTube is being with, with trying to get these accounts back? Well, that's another problem here, that YouTube is not that terribly helpful. If you're Linus Tech Tips, who is like you know, one of their top uh, creators... Yes, they got some help, but I think it even took them uh, sort of, was it half a day, day kind of, uh, to get mm-hmm. everything uh, straightened out. If you are a lesser uh, creator with you no know, merely like one or two million uh, subscribers, uh, then, <laughs> only, uh, only a couple oh, million. Only a yeah. couple million subscribers. <laughs> yeah. uh, then you may have a much harder time to get through to YouTube. The other problem is that these API keys, the way they should be done is that they have very specific permissions to prevent sort of this complete account takeover if you are getting a hold of one of those API keys. 
But of course, that's always hard to change. Then in hindsight, uh, if you're now limiting these credentials, then of course, all kinds of processes that people set up uh, will break. In the postmortem, as, as you say, from the, the folks who run Linux tech tips, uh, what changes have they made? I believe they said that they basically are monitoring uh, those keys more closely. Another important part here is also, you know, we always talk about backups, uh, but uh, one thing the attacker did here was delete all of the videos. Oh, wow. Uh, so actually, uh, one of the major delays in getting everything back together was just the sheer time it takes to upload all of these videos. Yeah. All right. Boy, it's an interesting cautionary tale. Johannes Ulrich, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. 
Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.